Uh, this morning, I want to take you to this kind of this third principle that I'd like to share. But let's open with prayer and then we'll go to that today. Father, we pause now to bring ourselves before you, bring ourselves back to you. And I know we've been doing that here in the sanctuary this morning. I'm thankful for the great times of prayer we've had, the, uh, the mornings and the evenings, and it has done our hearts so good. I know I can speak for everyone that's here. But Lord, we come to you now and ask your help. May we be emptied of that which fills us, Lord, so that we may be filled with that which we are empty of. And God, I pray that we could receive more of our true heart today, a true heart for you. I pray, Lord, that we would get help and we would learn how to love you more today, more truly. And God, that we would consecrate ourselves to your way. And may Christ be formed in us um, more and more as we go through the morning. And all of this I pray through your son Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read more of this later, but it seems fitting to... Uh, to, uh, to, to share these words of Psalm 81. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. And I, I thought that's a fitting psalm, and I want to read another portion of that in, in the start of the session in a little bit, but I thought it was a fitting psalm this morning as we will be studying in the the spiritual discipline and practice of worship today. And that's what we're going to be looking at here in just a little bit. Um, I have tried to remind you every day at some point that we are beginners. And I've been sitting on this one uh, all week so far. I've actually had it in my notes a couple of times, but I hadn't shared it. So this morning will be the morning to do it. And this is another one from Thomas Akempis from The Imitation of Christ. He says, each day we should renew our resolution and bestir ourselves to fervor as though it were the first day of our conversion and say, help me, O Lord God, in my good resolve and in your holy service. Grant me this day to, to begin perfectly, for hitherto I have accomplished nothing. What a thought. I mean, I'm just telling you, it just all brings me back to the words of the Apostle Paul. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, this can be a daily practice of prayer in our life. Um, so I thought that would be fitting to share with you this morning. I, I looked this morning, as we go into our devotion, I looked this morning, the confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide, as of this morning, stand at 22.4 million. And uh, there have been 787,000 deaths uh, across the world. In the U.S. that number is 5.6 million and there have been 174,000 that have died in the U.S. So I looked at the Spanish flu pandemic back in uh, 100 years ago and it lasted from 1918, started in 1918, went all the way to December of 1920. That's the period of time they say it lasted. There were estimated to be over 50 million who died worldwide, and some estimates are much higher than that. And there's just no way back then to really keep up with it as well. I would, I would not be surprised if it wasn't much, much higher than that. But either way, I want to say I'm thankful for the, the improvements in health care and medicine that we have today that has definitely spared a lot of lives because something like the flu period uh, years ago 
killed many more people than it does today, and the flu still kills a lot of people. Oh, what am I talking about? Um, I want to introduce, use that to introduce this thought that there is another pandemic that is sweeping across the world and has been for some time, and certainly in America, and it has taken far more victims than these two combined. It is a condition known as affluenza. Are you familiar with that term? Affluenza. It's probably more, you know, recognized just a few years ago. It's a word that became kind of well-known back in 2013. There was a teenager in Texas who was drunk, a drunk driving, killed four pedestrians. And then the judge released him, let him go, because the psychiatrist testified that he was suffering from affluenza, which basically means that uh, it, it's defined as a psychological malaise or an illness which the source cannot be identified. A psychological malaise but supposedly affects wealthy young people. They, 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 he had no idea. I mean, he's just so overcome by privilege and, and what he has. I mean, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't that make you just want to... How mad is the world we live in? It gets madder and madder, if, if that's good English. But uh, it doesn't stop with just young people. We used to call that being a snob, by the way, back, back in the, the old days, but that was before it turned real serious because you could get away with manslaughter for just being a snob. Affluenza is defined in a book entitled Affluenza, the All-Consuming Epidemic. It came out in 2001. It's defined as a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. There was a PBS documentary, I haven't seen this, I was just reading about it, PBS documentary on this, quote, disease that was released in 1997. The producer of the show gave a list of symptoms for those who have affluenza. Here's what they were. Shopping fever, credit card debt, bankruptcies, Greed and envy, homes congested with stuff, a shortage of time, declining savings, an overload of possessions, consumeritis among the youth, an ache for meaning, families where money is used to express love, and the feeling that there is never enough. Now, have I overstated it this morning to say that this one has affected far more people than COVID-19 and the flu? This one is everywhere, and it's all across our culture. How many millions of Americans, but how many American Christians are affected with this virus? You hear those symptoms, and let's be honest about it, we are a generation of consumers and hoarders and excess-driven, overweight, burdened, and frustrated people whose only way to find relief really is to buy more toys, spend more money, or just put more gas in the toys that we have so we can run away from all the stuff that clutters our life for a little while and all the time, God has been squeezed completely out of the picture, except on Sunday and Wednesday night. Right, right. 
So let me introduce the theme for the day, now that all the pleasantries are done. We've looked at singularity on Tuesday morning. That's the pursuit of union with God. It's a kingdom focus. Singularity will cultivate purpose in our life. I am, I, my mind gets blown sometimes by thinking of how all these things just weave together. I'm telling you, there is a God that is everything, and He is an all-consuming fire, and there is nothing that is true that is not His. And I think there's a simplicity to it I'm never going to understand completely, but I think His name is Jesus. Amen. Somebody write down what I just said. I think that was a philosophy. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm baffled, I'm, I'm amazed by it. Uh, singularity, it, it cultivates purpose in our life. And then Wednesday we looked at solitude. Yesterday we talked about solitude, how we should create time and space for God. This involves wrestling with the inner man, learning how to stay with God. And sing, uh, soli uh, let me get the right word. Solitude will produce or will cultivate patience in our life. Okay? It teaches us how to stay in place, how to be steadfast. This morning I'll, I'm going to share this third principle that you've probably seen on the screen, which will also help us in cultivating and, and, and finding and pursuing holiness. And it's this thing of simplicity. Just discovering that less can really be a whole lot more. I'm going to interrupt myself and, and pull a Charlie Russell. Of all the things that I've tried to teach you, I am a master of none. But this one, I feel even less. But I also feel that I have over the years reached for this one a lot. I've tasted a little bit of it, and it really entices me. I just haven't figured out how to get out of the complete web yet. I am in pursuit of this, I'll just tell you. You could ask Athena, I'm in pursuit of opening my closet door one day, and there being about five things hanging there. But I'm serious, I haven't figured out how to do it yet. And there's a, there's a jumbled up, tangled up mess of stuff that prevents us from pursuing this simplicity in our life. And, and I just want to unravel it. Lord, piece by piece, help me to figure this out. But um, simplicity, if we practice this, it, it's about cutting away all the non-essentials. And if we will practice this, it brings a liberty to our life to follow God daily, as well as in the big moves of life. I mean, honestly, how many Christians right now, if God were to say, go, would say, Lord, I can't. How am I going to pay for all this stuff? You know? So it will really help us. What it cultivates, singularity will cultivate purpose. Solitude will cultivate patience. But what, sing what simplicity will cultivate is potential in your life. There is a latent power inside of every child of God that we have not tapped into. And part of tapping into that latent power is learning to live simply. All right? So let's go to the words of Jesus. I don't know why I put my Bible away when I'm given a devotion, but let me go find it. We've been in, in, in Matthew 6 a lot this week. Let me read, and I didn't put these uh, verses on the screen because it's a large chunk of Scripture. If you want to look, we're going to look at it for a couple of minutes. So if you want to open to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 19 through 33, but what I'll do is, uh, is kind of give you this, the, the gist of it uh, here, and then we'll kind of refer back. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through 
nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? I think we're walking in a lot of darkness. And I'm talking about as believers. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I want to stop the reading right there for a moment. How do we know if we're serving God or mammon? How do we know? Mammon, uh, probably you, you know this. Some of you could, could say more to it than I, I'm aware of. But mammon, as I understand it, we always just kind of tell people, well, that means, means get money, you know. And it does, but mammon was a name, an a, a, um, actual name. It was the name given to a deity. Uh, it was what they, it was, it was like they would call, you know, Jupiter and Mars and Plutoas and all that. Mammon was the deity name for money or avarice, Okay. It's that inordinate desire of getting and possessing more stuff to accumulate, to accumulate. I think that's probably the most convicting word we could use. How many of us are really good at accumulating stuff, right? Now, how do we know if we're serving God or mammon? Well, let's look at just what Jesus says. And the number one question to ask yourself is, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? He said in verse 19, 21, we looked at that a while ago, he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what do you value the most? How much of an investment have I made down here in stuff and things and plans versus how much of an investment have I made in the kingdom? And this isn't just about the money, the cash, <laughs> This is about everything that I am. It's all that I am being given to one of two things. I'm, even, I'm either being given to the accumulation of the things of this world, or I am given to the kingdom of God. So you ask yourself, where is my real treasure? Now, I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. But before God, we must answer that honestly from our heart if we're going to make any progress in the pursuit of holiness. Secondly, the question we ask ourselves is, where are our thoughts? So go to verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, do, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Where's for, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O you, O ye of little faith? So where are your thoughts? And by this... What consumes your mind? Oh, man, how am I going to get these bills paid? How am I going to make it to next week? Ooh. What do I need to do to get enough money to buy another fill-in-the-blank, right? Man, I've got to have another, you know? Fifteen is not enough of whatever. Now, I... Look, I, all of us, myself included, we have these thoughts of, oh, man... I got, I got these bills that need to get paid by next week, you know? That's not what I'm saying. It's not about recognizing that we have some needs or recognizing. I mean, now, let me tell you something. There's a lot of bills a lot of people have that they shouldn't have. 
you could cut right now. You're paying for services you don't need. You could cut. And, and the average Christian, this is arbitrary numbers, the average Christian sitting in the average Baptist church could probably save themselves two to $300 a month cutting out some of the services they're paying for that they don't need. Could you imagine? And then on top of that, you talk about all the stuff that they've just gone out and bought and gone in debt for that they're getting a bill they have to pay every month on. You know. But I, I know we all have bills and we all have things we have to pay. And we, we'll think about that. It'll grab us. I mean, I don't know of anybody. Now, while all Americans are wealthy compared to the world's, rest of the world, I don't know anybody that's like wealthy by American standard. So we all pretty much recognize, okay, we got bills to pay. But the thing is, is where does our thoughts, where do our thoughts stay? How, do they hunker down in the worry? Oh, man. Or do we immediately let it go? Give it to God. Just, just the, the ability to turn back to the Father. Because that's the next thing. Who do you trust? You see, verse 32 and 33 says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So who do we trust? In troubled times, where do we turn first? Do we turn to the Father or to Uncle Sam? Do we turn to the cash and credit card or do we turn to prayer? You know, to let God do some of the amazing things that these men have talked about uh, seeing happen in, in their life of faith, God will do these things. Um, the trouble with our modern Christianity is that we are lost in the ways of worldly living and worldly lifestyle. We just are. We're consumed with it. We're eat up with it. We're watching the Kardashians. I'm not. Let me go on record. I'm just saying in a general sense. We're watching the Kardashians and following everybody else on Facebook, and we are eat up with this comparison lifestyle. We know we can't have what all they have, but by George, we can go down to Walmart and buy the finest thing Walmart has and put it together and look like we got something. You know? I mean, we'll do it. We want a new car every few years. We want a bigger house. We want new clothes. We want to have exotic vacations with coconut doodads. That's what we want. <laughs> Sorry. It's a long-standing joke, Brother John. We'll explain later. I tell you, we watch way too much TV, way too much Netflix, way too much Amazon. That's why the Andrew Giffith Show is healthy and spiritual, Brother Van Horn. There's nothing on there that we have to worry about trying to compare ourselves to except can we just kind of get back to living slow and loving one another, you know? We've forgotten, friends, what it means to be a pilgrim. Yes, amen. That's it. We've forgotten what it means to be a pilgrim. Look at Hebrews 11, 13, 16. It'll be on the screen. Talking about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. Of them it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. That's living by faith. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now if I'm seeking a country, I must not be happy or content with the one I'm in. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. That is the life of the pilgrim. We've forgotten that. Now, I know I'm speaking to people that have chose to come every morning to a Mystery of Godliness conference, and you are the few. 
the minority. But let's be honest amongst ourselves. We could all stand up and confess this morning of where we're failing in this. The great thing about us, besides Jesus, the good thing is that we are here, meaning we want to be better at this. We want to understand better and know more. And there are others that are going to be watching the videos. They feel the same way. They just they can't be here. But together, us and those that join by video, we share this heart. As a church, let's pursue this together, this pilgrim life, this pilgrim journey. The thing of identity in Christ, where I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm not living for this world. I'm like these pilgrims of faith. I desire more. Again, let me give you Kempis. Wherever you go, you are a stranger and a pilgrim. You will never have rest unless you are interiorly united with Christ. Why are you standing here looking all around? I love that question. He's talking to the, to the Christians. Why are you standing here looking all around? This is not your resting place, for your conversation is in heaven. And we should view everything on earth as passing. So when I say we've forgotten what it means, I'm not speaking first and directly to you and me. I think as a church culture, it was forgotten a long time ago. And we were handed this weak, worldly form of Christianity that we were born into. Can we just call it like it is? But here's the thing. While this weak and worldly form of Christianity has little life and less power with God, we are the ones who must determine and say, I'm not satisfied with this. This is not enough. Last night I spoke of te the teaching on asceticism, which is essentially letting go of everything that keeps us from more of God. What these ancient men and women of deep faith understood was that by letting go of the world, they were being made free to truly pursue life with God. And that's what they wanted. It was said of those monks in Egypt that I've referenced so many times who moved into the deserts back in the third century, because they saw society as a shipwreck from which every man had to swim for his life. It said that they chose to live very simple lives. Generally, they would have a stone hut or literal, literal cave in the side of a rock wall, but that was their, they called that their cell. And that's where they would pray and sleep and meditate. They would have a mat on the floor that they would sleep on. They may have a, a pot of water to drink. Um, they would have one set of clothes, perhaps two sets of the undergarment part, and their one robe covering. That became a tradition for them. And, uh, and it was said of them that even food and sleep were to the very minimum needed to sustain them so they could watch for God. They kept silence so they could hear God more clearly. <laughs> now, we're not moving into a desert life. That's not what we're talking about. Praise the Lord for a, a place where we have mostly good roads to drive on and a good vehicle to get us places. And praise the Lord for air conditioning. I don't know that I couldn't survive without ice and some of the trinkets, but I like air conditioning. We're not talking about moving to the desert. But that's not necessary to live a monastic type of life. In fact, in this modern world, I think, this modern world of consumption and gain and get more, it can be quite easy to live a monk-like Christianity just by simply choosing to practice what Paul instructed Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. 
So contentment is the key. It's the attitude that says, I've got enough. I've got enough. Why do I need more? Paul in Philippians 4, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I'm so glad we can read that verse, verse 13, in the context. Because I know, I, I know all the athletes out there love to paint it on their face, and, you know, and, I, and, and that's great. Man, testify for the Lord every chance you get. But the context of this, friends, when we understand what we're studying this week, the context of this is Paul is saying, I can live a simple life. I don't have to have anything except Jesus. Ah, man, I want to get to that place. I like my peanut butter or honey. You know, I mean, I'm being a little silly, but, but we do. We, we, we turn to the, these weak and beggarly things. The other side of the simplicity coin, you have contentment. That's being held in limits, not disturbed. But then you also have the abstinence, which is learning to do with less. It's the other side of this coin. The discipline of restraining the passions and lust. And so uh, going back to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, but they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, not the need of money, not the use of money, but the love of money, the avarice, the mammon, the bowing down to accumulation. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, you, you think this has wrecked some faith? You think this has destroyed some churches? My soul, we know it has destroyed ministries. We know it has wrecked marriages. The love of money is the root of all evil. And pierce themselves through many sorrows. But look what he says to Timothy. But thou, man of God, thou, women of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. This is what we should set our heart upon. And what is that? All those words describe Jesus. So the spiritual discipline of simplicity requires me to look around my life and make some decisions to declutter. I need to declutter my mind. I need to declutter my calendar. Boy, COVID-19 helped a lot with that. Both of those things, honestly, in my life. I need to declutter my workspace. Man, I need to declutter my garage. I need to declutter my closet. I started to say, ladies, we need to declutter our closet, but I didn't want to go there. And I know on the surface, if you're not used to thinking this way, you might not understand the connection. But friends, I have experienced a little of this along the way. I remember being deployed in Iraq and living with just the basics. Now, trust me, I miss being in America and I miss my wife and children. But there was something about just living where there was no decision to make about what you're going to wear. There's not really a lot of options in food. And it's very sparse, the setting. You've got a bed, you've got a desk, you've got a place to go do work every day. And you've got the equipment you need. 
There's something about that that was very liberating. It's designed for the soldier that way. Boy, I'm starting to go down a whole other trail that I need to take notes on my own preaching. It's designed for the soldier that way. It reminds me of what Paul said, that we're to be good soldiers. I mean, it fits in there somewhere, but I'll leave that part alone. If you'll declutter your life, you'll see value in it. There'll be something that when your garage is decluttered, and I think I'll get this when my teenagers are all moved out, my boys particularly. When my garage is decluttered, I think I'll be able to walk through my garage and there won't be oppression like there is now. There won't be bad spirit. Let's be honest, have you ever walked through your clutter and just got upset, just frustrated? What if we declutter our life? We take that away. And oh, we've got more space and time for God. That's all I'm saying. Do I need to own this? Does this help me or burden me? world keeps trying to sell us more and more of its goods. We don't need them. We need more of God. Do I need to buy this? Do I need more clothes? Do I need more things? When's the last time you actually went through your stuff and prayerfully sought to clear out your life? George MacDonald, the Scottish minister, said, to have what we want is riches, but to be able to do without is power. To choose the simple life would be to let go of the things that aren't important, the non-essentials. To refuse to be aligned with the normal way of doing life these days so that we can pursue holiness, so that we can learn and unlock more of the mystery of godliness. Peter said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And I close with a poem. Fifteen points in a poem. You ready for this? Matsuta Masahiti. Samurai poet from the 7th century wrote these words, Since my house burned down, I now have a better view of the rising moon. I'm going to tell you something. That quote has, I have been waiting to use that for weeks. When I read that the first time, I'll be honest with you, man, my, I, it, it jerked my heart like, like it just did now. There's such truth in that. And we've sold ourselves out to the God of Mammon. We should pray God would deliver us more and more. We love God. We want more of God. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. We wouldn't be watching if we didn't. We want Him, but we have been trapped. We have been sold a bill of goods. We need simplicity. So let's pray. Father, today we give you this time that we have come to set, we give it to you, Lord, to, to work this truth into our heart, that it's more than just words, more than just time filled in our day, but we truly have sought you, and we truly want you, and we're learning to let go of the non-essentials of our life. God, if we were to lose everything the world offers we will have lost nothing. And if losing what the world offers affords us the opportunity for a better view of you, then God, take it from us. Yes. I know, I think, uh, dear Lord, what 
song is to be sung in tonight's service, and I'm reminded of it just now. Whatever it takes to be more like you, Lord. That's what we should be willing to do. Let that be our desire today. We give it to you now through Christ Jesus. Amen.